How to do the queue. According to unverified estimates bandied about on the internet, every year Americans spend about 37 billion hours waiting in line. Over their lifetime, Americans will spend some two to three years of their life in the queue. I have absorbed the routine lines of daily living, rarely noticing the wait at the bank, the grocery store, post office, Starbucks, or on hold with Comcast. However, at the airport, I definitely feel the accumulation of years of waiting as I stand in the following sequence of lines. 1. On busy days, two toll booths on the way to the airport. 2. Shuttle from remote parking. 3. Kiosk for boarding pass because I foolishly forgot to print mine at home. 4. Security to check ID. 5. Once past security, a second line to disrobe and pass bag and body through scanner. 6. Post-security Starbucks or some other guilty pleasure. 7. Pre-flight P. 8. First in line at the gate before they even call my boarding group to ensure that there will be adequate overhead bin space for my carry-on. 9. Line in the jetway to take my seat. 10. The plane and all its passengers wait in line on the runway to take off. 11. In-flight P. As an aside, I would like to say I find a P line demeaning, particularly when I have to time my dash to when the drink cart is not clogging the aisle, and then I must ask my neighbors to unbuckle and let me out. With the exception of international and Hawaiian flights, I have successfully eliminated this step by taking the aisle seat, then flying dry, i.e. lightly hydrated. No pre-flight Starbucks for me. 12. Line to exit the plane. 13. Taxi stand for final ground transportation or shuttle to the rental car. 14. Line at the rental car. Unless I'm lucky enough to be a gold, emerald, or some other precious metal type of customer. 15. Check-in at the hotel. 16. Elevator line. While I will admit to an undercurrent of weary frustration mixed with resignation, I, along with most Americans, endure lines with exemplary patience. In fact, standing in lines is a quintessential human characteristic, a lesson I learned in childhood, and one that I have in turn passed on to our young son. Ned, please don't fidget in line. Remember how we talked about sharing and taking turns? Well, standing in line is just the same, except that you are doing it with strangers. This was not an easy sell and took several reinforcing attempts, perhaps because patience and waiting in line challenges the more primal instinct of survival of the fittest. After all, I have never seen a group of monkeys peacefully standing in line at the watering hole. The concept of an orderly queue is based on fairness. In fact, stripped down to its core, patiently waiting in line is a bedrock of democracy. All men are created equal. Everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time. No one's shit smells better than another. And go to the back of the line like everyone else. Sociologists have labeled the queue a self-regulating social system, complete with all sorts of arcane jargon and equations full of odd symbols. But kids in the cafeteria line express it succinctly. The directive of, hey man, no cuts! 
is delivered with a piercing stare of peer pressure and the collective authority of the social system. A few acceptable exceptions to the first-come, first-served fairness do exist. In the emergency room, the man with the sprained ankle will graciously give up his spot in the queue to the sweaty man clutching his heart. The express line at the grocery store is based on the general consensus that a woman buying a single carton of milk should not have to wait behind a doomsday prepper with a cart piled high with light bulbs and canned tuna fish. However, the express line will only work if shoppers respect the item limit. In the spirit of self-regulation, I have occasionally considered tapping the shopper on the shoulder if I count up 12 items instead of the designated 10. But then I might wonder if I've counted correctly. Did I count the bananas individually instead of just one item for the bunch? Or did the shopper unwittingly exceed the limit with last-minute impulse purchases of Skittles and a toenail clipper? The queue will exert its own personality in less well-defined cutting opportunities. Queue tolerance is questionable for the person who cuts through the airport security line with the breezy comment, Sorry, sorry, but my plane is leaving in 30 minutes. Do I really believe he's that late? And why should I be penalized for his tardiness? What if my plane leaves in 35 minutes? The unverifiable 30 minutes contrasts with the explicit criterion of 10 items in the grocery express lane. I usually give way to the harried traveler elbowing past me, but if someone else in the queue speaks up, I might join in. How about the person who says he is saving a place, and then ten people cut in front to join him? I think that the collective queue might accept saving a place for one or two people, but a group cut may prompt muttering. Occasionally, figures of questionable authority will interfere with the queue's generally effective self-regulating system. Nurses and doctors in the emergency room have clear authority to tinker with the queue but the authority of airport personnel is highly suspect. I remember standing in line to check my baggage at O'Hare Airport on December 23rd. The airport was filled with a seething mass of anxious holiday travelers at a standstill in the single clotted serpentine line. Panicked travelers realized there was no way to get through the sequential bottlenecks of baggage and security to emerge free in the golden land of beckoning gates the ability of the queue to self-regulate was at risk. I knew we would miss our flight if we meekly stood in the single line, but I had discovered a separate hidden baggage check line that was labeled for airplane personnel only that allowed us to bypass the congestion. I was clearly unqualified for this line, but with no other choice I marshaled the necessary air of entitlement as our family waited our turn behind two others. And then, with horror, I realized that an American Airlines service representative was escorting a family in front of us. He looked at us and said, I'm sorry, these folks will be late for their plane unless they check in now. A ballsy and blatant cut. There were probably thousands of people who were about to miss their flight. The attendant's only authority was a stained and ragged blazer with an American Airlines patch on it. At this moment, I realized this guy was tugging at the very fabric of no-cuts democracy. This desperate family must have slipped the airport guy a 20, a 50, or a 100 to skip ahead in this line.
Yes, perhaps I had stretched the rules by finding a better line, but this is another basis of democracy. Ingenuity and creativity should be rewarded. However, bribery was unfair and a breach of social justice. I feared that our self-regulating social system was on the brinks of collapsing into anarchy, and I was greatly relieved when we made it through security. In the 1960s, when I first started to stand in line at the airport, the single serpentine line had not yet been institutionalized. Each service desk had its individual line, and selecting the fastest one was a high-stakes gamble. If I chose randomly from among the five available lines, I would only have a one in five chance of choosing the fastest one. So I learned to make an educated line choice, primarily based on ageism. I avoided lines with elderly travelers fumbling with their wallets, or young families with restless children clambering over a teetering stack of bags. And I also learned to scout out all lines. Similar to the short line I found on our Christmas trip, I discovered that I could sometimes slip into a separate line, tucked away for those wishing to check an oversized item like a cello or a bicycle. Those days are gone. Airlines have all switched over to the single line, a system that does ensure first-come, first-served fairness for the entire queue. If someone takes up more than the average time getting through security, the entire line suffers. And similarly, when I go through security, the line benefits because I am the epitome of efficiency. My shoes are often seconds. I heave my carry-on up onto the table and promptly move it along so there's room for the person behind me. I swiftly gather up my belongings post-body scan so that I don't jam up the line. I am a most welcome addition to any queue. Most grocery stores have multiple lines, and there I can still use my heritage queue management skills. I avoid lines with elderly folks who look confused about swiping their credit cards, or with kids distracting their parents with demands of impulse candy purchases. I nix a line with a trainee cashier and delay a firm commitment to a line if I sense a new register opening up. If correct, I'll be one of the lucky few to skip over to the head of a new line. With multiple lines, there is no guarantee of first-come, first-serve, and luck and careful observation can be rewarded. At the airport, efficient line management may not be a priority since travelers have no other options. However, retail stores or places like amusement parks are acutely sensitive to the issue since customers can simply walk away and never come back. Matching the number of cash registers or service personnel to traffic volume is the most obvious approach to decreasing the wait time, but adding additional employees is not a popular solution. A more subtle strategy has emerged. The basic premise is that the time standing in line is not the critical issue. It is really how the customer feels while standing there, and feelings can be manipulated. The field of Q psychology was born. Richard Larson, an MIT professor known as Dr. Q, relates the story of the Q management strategy in an airport where people complained about the length of time spent waiting for bags at baggage claim. The solution was not to increase staffing or efficiency, but to manipulate the perception of the wait by eliminating the unoccupied time at the baggage claim. The airline simply moved the gate to the end of the terminal so that passengers took longer to walk to baggage claim. The total time between plane touchdown and the bag's arrival and claim was the same, 
but travelers experienced a shorter amount of irritated, unoccupied time once they arrived at baggage claim. Complaints plummeted. I've often wondered why a plane will park at gate C-26 on a late-night arrival when there's so many closer and vacant gates. Since I rarely check bags, my annoying perception is that I am forced to trundle the entire length of the terminal for no obvious reason. Disney World is the acknowledged master of queue psychology. They wrap their lines around corners and out of sight so that the customers are not overwhelmed by their length. Disney has an underground bunker that monitors lines and redeploys Minnie Mouse or Snow White to provide entertainment when a line stalls out. There are also video games and other entertainment kiosks while waiting. The goal is to make the customer feel like the line is part of the overall experience. To me, this is like lobbing marshmallows to a caged polar bear in the delusional hope that he'll forget he lives in the zoo. But apparently the strategy works. Disney is probably the only place where patrons are willing to stand in an hour line for a two-minute ride. The Serpentine queue may have been introduced in the spirit of first-come, first-served fairness, but it didn't take marketers long to figure out that this captive audience represented a ripe marketing target. By allowing travelers to buy their way into a better line with an additional premium, airlines have transformed first-come, first-served from a right to a privilege. As I look down and see Boarding Group 7 emblazoned on my boarding pass, I feel like I'm a victim of institutionalized bribery. However, airlines reportedly have earned billions of dollars from this type of ancillary revenue. And not even an idiot would leave this much money on the table. I'm surprised the airlines didn't think of this scheme sooner. Retailers have used the Serpentine queue as a technique to prolong the exposure to impulse purchases. With the multiple lines at most grocery stores, I am only next to the candy and gum racks for a fraction of my wait time as I unload my groceries onto the conveyor belt. In a single zigging and zagging Serpentine line at Trader Joe's, my entire wait time is spent among cakes, pies, and other guilty pleasures that I easily passed up when I breezed through the dessert aisle. The virtual line of a telephone queue presents the same marketing opportunities. I am subjected to ads while on hold. In fact, I assume that everyone is forced to listen to an ad, even if operators are standing by. The marketing potential of the captive audience extends beyond the queue to other venues of unoccupied time. The company Captive Audience Marketing provides the following logic for advertising at the gas pump. Quote, the beauty of gas pump billboard advertising is that you have the captive attention of gas station patrons for three to five minutes. Not many advertising mediums can offer you the same benefits. Gas pump billboarding advertising is a medium that gives a person something to do while they wait. They are there to refuel their vehicle and have nothing better to do than look at your ad. End quote. So how do I do the queue? I'm resigned to the 16 different lines at the airport. My credit card does give me some marginal cachet to stand in a better line, but it's still a line, and I take comfort in the basic fairness of the self-regulating social system. I do refuse, however, to be manipulated during my captivity. My smartphone has taken the sting out of my unoccupied time, but advertisers are as relentless as the water trickle that carved out the Grand Canyon. 
I just try to keep my head down to shield myself from the soft plop of incoming marshmallows, and I kick aside any that lie littered at my feet.